0: Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, Makini Smith. Hey, Faith Walkers. Thank you for joining us on the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us take a step into their shoes. I help women strengthen their resilience muscle, own their stories, and conquer their fears so they can reach their goals. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have a special treat for you because we actually have a woman with the real name Faith Walker. I know I call my community Faith Walkers because we're all here walking by faith, but today's guest, her real name is Faith Walker, and she's a mother, a singer, a songwriter, living with stage four metastatic breast cancer for over 10 years. That has metastasized to her lungs and bones over 15 years after her original diagnosis. She continues to defy the odds and is thriving, and it's become her purpose to raise awareness and inspire others through her music and sharing her story of resilience. Faith is an ambassador for hashtag Feel It On The First, a movement created to remind women to take control of their lives and the importance to check their breasts. Please welcome to the show, Faith Walker.
1: Hi. Thank Thank you you. so much for joining us. No problem. I'm happy to be here. This was kind of a long time coming. A couple delays, but we're, we're here.
0: Nothing happens before it's time, but I definitely want to thank you for coming on. And, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about how I call my community Faith Walkers, and it's a blessing that someone within my community was like, hey, you should actually interview Faith Walker. And I was like, there's someone with the name Faith Walker? Okay, I definitely need to interview her. That's so funny. <laughs> thank so you thank you.
1: Definitely. I'm, you know, I'm always happy to share my story. And, you know, I feel it's kind of like my purpose to to share it to inspire other people and let them know that they're not alone. And that they can make it through a hard time.
0: Absolutely. You know, I was looking into you know your background and your story, and I'm like, wow, you are a woman of resilience. You are, I mean, and like you said, th- this interview was, you know, a long time coming. We had scheduled and then you weren't well. And I'm I'm just grateful that we've been able to reschedule and have this conversation because yeah. I am so interested in hearing your story and your mindset because it is so inspiring and I'm just giving you a disclaimer. I'm a crybaby, So I might not make it through this episode without crying. <laughs> Me, too. Me too. Okay.
1: I had some, some delays so much has happened since we were first supposed to do the interview. It's been such a roller coaster ride the past couple months. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm, you know, in a good place right now. And we're able to do this
0: amen amen you know i i love to start the show with an icebreaker question and ask people what their names mean because i believe that every time someone says your name that they're declaring that meaning to you so as women we have Mm -hmm. you know all these different titles that we go by and i just love the fact that your name is faith walker like i actually just want to know you know what inspired your parents for coming up with that
1: yeah there is a story to it um so, last name Walker. Obviously, I couldn't do much to change that. But honestly, <laughs> being my, my first name, um, my parents well, my dad was a little bit of a hippie. So, he, he wanted to name me Moonflower. And my mm-hmm. mom was not happy of that. Like, there's no way she's going to be Moonflower Walker. And I'm so <laughs> thankful that he said that. So, um, he wanted to name me after his mother then. And he said, you know, her name's Vera. My mom's like, oh, no, I can't. It's a nice name, but I can't name my baby Vera. Like, and she just couldn't see it. And they mm-hmm. looked in a baby name book and it said Vera mean to, meant to have faith. So she's like, oh, we can name her faith. And then that's kind of how it all came about. And it's interesting because, like I was telling you before, a lot of people think it's a stage name, but it's my actual name. And just because of everything that I've been through in my life, they're like, oh my gosh, like you, you are living your life like so true to that name. Yeah, like your faith walk real. So I I think it's been something that's kind of been encouraging on the way. You know, I I feel like they're like, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, that's how (laughs) it came about. Glad I'm not Moonflower. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting. um, That original idea of even asking women that come on the show what their names mean was because I grew up hating my name. Because Makini, I mean, imagine children can be so cruel sometimes. So the way that my name got made fun of and my parents, I don't know if they lied to me intentionally or that's what they believed back then, but they told me that it meant beautiful one. And I was like, okay. So growing up, I just, you know, when people are like, oh, that's an interesting name. I'm like, well, it means beautiful one. But as an adult, and I started to dig deeper into, you know, my history and things about my upbringing and background, I discovered that Makini mm-hmm. is Swahili for strength of character. And that oh. made me embrace my name even more. It made me more comfortable with the uniqueness of my name. And I always thought oh, yeah. it'd be interesting to ask everybody else, like, what does your name mean? Or where did it come from? Or, you know, how did your parents come up with that name? But I'm, yeah. I'm just blown it's away safe. that your name is Faith Walker. I love it.
1: I love it too. I do.
0: <laughs> so what did you want to be when you're a little girl?
1: I think for as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a singer. Um, I think there was like a brief period before that, or kind of like on and off where I was like, oh, i want to be a lawyer. But then I realized like what it was really about. And I wasn't interested in all the paperwork and <laughs> also, <laughs> the stuff that you don't see on TV. So I was like, oh, forget that. I'm sticking to, to being a singer. So I guess I just always envi- envisioned being, you know, that and a songwriter
0: you know it's interesting um just recently i had julie black on the podcast and i was saying to her like if there was one gift that i wish i was born with it would be the ability to sing because i think outside of the shower nobody wants to hear me singing and (laughs) (laughs) so you know i feel like it's a gift that you guys are born with but i feel like there comes an age or a certain point where you discover that you can sing so I guess when did right. you discover that you had that gift
1: I think I would say maybe seven eight nine like somewhere in that range and I think you know I'd always sing but um and my mom would be like oh yeah, such a beautiful voice but I'm like you're my mom like you have to do that
0: <laughs> right um,
1: but I just remember I remember like a babysitter of mine she was like braiding my hair and I was singing and and she's like, oh, you, you know, you have a beautiful voice. And I'm like, okay. So then I kind of, that was like a reinforcement of like, oh, someone besides my mom thinks I can sing. <laughs> and uh, I started writing a little bit here and there and just singing songs that I loved. And then around the age of 14 is when I started to record my own music in a studio and mm-hmm. write like complete songs. So it was around 14 that I think I started to, take it seriously but i think you know around probably seven eight years old is when i discovered that maybe i have a gift i also mm-hmm. my father he sang back up and played back up for a lot of different um detroit artists he was actually hanging out with flattest night in the pith the night that he met my mom yeah. so <laughs> he's in the scene and my mom she she just like loves. Motown and soulful music and she would always <laughs> I'm sorry mom but she can't sing she knows she can't sing She like, <laughs> if I was singing I would be like the best singer because she feels it you know mm-hmm. um so yeah I think it was kind of like it was there in my upbringing but you know it took kind of like someone outside of that to kind of make me take notice that okay
0: maybe maybe I have something so you took it serious at 14, but I guess what's the story behind you deciding that, you know, for your adult life, you want to become a musical artist? What inspired that? Or how did you get to that
1: point? Um, I think it was just a feeling that that was my purpose and I just kind of like jumped into it, mm-hmm. you know, and once I kind of like commit committed to something, I kind of kept going with it um at that time you know i was really just trying to hone my craft and get better at what i was doing cuz i wasn't formally trained in music mm-hmm. uh i just always made up melodies and uh you know made up songs just off the top of my head so i think that for me it was probably like a a slower ev- evolution than some artists that have you know that piano background or you know, played an instrument at a young age. So mm-hmm. that's one thing that I wish that I would have taken advantage of. You know, if I could go back, I think I would have definitely taken some piano lessons. I think that would have helped a lot. Yeah, it's never too late, you know. <laughs> that is true. I actually I won a contest a couple of years ago. It was a Bob Marley cover contest. Mm-hmm. To, uh, the museum where I live, and I ended up winning that and part of the prize was music lessons so i ended up taking i think it was like maybe 6 or 8 weeks of piano so mm-hmm. i i have a little bit of the the basics down but again i think it's something that you have to really practice and stick with if you're gonna you know keep it going and, and build upon that so i feel even just those that, that little bit of lessons that i did take did mm-hmm kind of open my eyes to certain things and, and show me certain things that I really didn't pay attention to before. So yeah, you're right. It's never too late. It took me a long time and uh, hopefully I can do some more.
0: Yes. Yeah. I believe you can. I believe you can. When I was little, I mean, we couldn't af- afford, you know, a piano or anything like that, but we were in, a, I believe it was like a plaza with the winners and there was a piano store. And my mom, I had asked her if I could go next door um, to look at the pianos. And she said, okay, she'll be there in a minute. And I went over to the piano store and I'm walking around and my mom had come into the store, you know, five minutes later, and I was sitting there playing on the piano, but my neighbor had taught me how to play a couple of songs just by ear. On her keyboard. Okay. So I'm sitting in the piano store and I'm playing. My mom was walking in looking for me, and when she discovered that you know I was sitting there playing the piano, she was like, "Wow!" So she ended up putting me in piano lessons. But I couldn't read musical notes, and I ended up not continuing the piano lessons. Right? I don't Mm -hmm. understand. To me, they're not never caught on (laughs) to to reading music. Like, part of me expected
1: it to come easy to me. I think, and even in school, they tried to teach us and i just wanted to play by ear like i don't know
0: yeah i i'm the same i could never read musical notes even in school um so when my mom put me in the piano lessons and i didn't do well with the piano lessons because you had to do things by playing the notes and reading you know the notes i couldn't do it so if you asked me to play something by ear back then i could If you showed me how to play and I watched your fingers, I could, but I couldn't read the notes. So going through school and we had to play instruments, like I learned to play the trumpet by ear. I learned to play the piano by ear. I learned to play, you know, the recorder, all these things. I made it through school, but I could never read notes. So I always admire people that could actually understand what those notes are saying.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I can definitely relate to that.
0: So I've had quite a few women who have come on the show and shared their experience of when they discovered that they've had cancer. And it's been different, I'm going to say different types of diagnosis of cancer, but everyone's Mm -hmm. story is unique. So, you know, can you share with us how you discovered that you first had cancer? Uh, Yeah, of course. Um,
1: So for me, I was 26 years old. Uh, when I was first diagnosed, and what happened was, um, I had some milk discharge, and I was like, "Okay, why is milk coming out of me?" My ki- I had two young kids at that time, but they were my youngest was like three, so there was no breastfeeding going on, anything like that. And I'm like, "Okay, this is kind of odd." So what happened was, I went to my family doctor, and my family doctor sent me for a breast ultrasound. And it was one of those situations where they're like, don't call us. We'll call you like I'm calling and they're like, no, if anything's wrong, we'll call you. Nobody called me. So about three months later I found a lump and they said, okay, we're going to send you for another breast ultrasound. And when I went in for the results, my uh, family doctor said, yeah, you you still have a lump and it's doubled in size. I'm like, what do you mean still? You've never told me I had one in the first place. Right. That was like my first, Experience of really being let down by the medical community because I feel that if I knew that, then I would have been looking out for it mm-hmm. for some type of change, you know. So at that point, they said that oh, it's probably nothing. It's probably not cancer. You're you're young. You don't have a strong family history. So you know, I was about to go on my first vacation. They're like, go have fun. You know, don't worry about it. They did a biopsy and they're like, you know, we'll have the results when you get back. So I. Came back from vacation. Um, I had my youngest, he was my youngest son at the time, who has severe autism and he's nonverbal. I didn't have anyone to watch him. So I had him with me at the appointment thinking, oh, it's nothing because we really had downplayed it. But yeah, I went in to see the specialist and he's like, well, it is breast cancer. And I was just like in complete shock. My son's like running around the room making noises and I'm just trying to calm him down. And I was just like a wreck. And I went over wow. to my car and just bawling. And I called my mom and I was just like, it's cancer. Like, I was just completely shocked because I didn't see it coming just because it was downplayed so much. Oh, it's probably nothing. It's probably nothing at mm-hmm. your age, you know. Um, so that was my first diagnosis and my first, you know, time hearing that those words, you yeah, have cancer.
0: Wow. You know, I'm deeply sorry that that happened to you and that you had to experience that. And it's very disappointing when I hear other stories of people who, you know, we live in Canada and we talk about our healthcare system and all these amazing things, but mm-hmm. you know, to be let down by that same healthcare system. I and- can't. I can't even count how many
1: times it's happened to me. So it's become something that has taught me that I really have to be vigilant and advocate for myself, because if I don't, nobody else is going to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think they really make you aware of that. It's like, you just do what the doctor says, do what you're told. And don't question anything. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really disappointing. You know, you learn that doctors are human. I get that part. But there's a lot of I feel deceit and a lot of things that are kept back and a lot of things that are at the doctor's discretion, whether they want to tell you or not,
0: Mm -hmm. I think it's really
1: important, you know, to ask for your medical records and ask your questions. And to be honest, I record my doctor's appointments most of the time because I've had situations where I've been like bold faced lied to. So I just have to protect myself.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, wow. I have goosebumps right now you know, recording your doctor's visits. That's something that, you know, I didn't think of before that would have definitely come in handy for me last year. But the, the oh. healthcare system last year let me down pretty big. And because I had already, you know, had my stint of running um, for MPP in the 2018 election, because i would made friends with people in the political arena. And I shared my story, my healthcare is- like issues with them. And there were so many people that said, yeah, you could go after the healthcare system, you could fight this, you could do this. But by the time wow. I had gone through healing, I was exhausted. I mm-hmm. didn't have the capacity to go through what would be probably a long marathon of legal battles with the healthcare system. So it's kind of just using your voice to make other people aware that they need to be very vigilant with their own health and not always take their word for it. And if you feel like something's wrong, listen to your body. Even if, you know, the doctor's saying there's nothing, there's nothing, because I can tell you many stories where myself and other women that I've had on here have experienced that. So it's very important to fight especially um, women of color, because most times we're not believed for our healthcare issues and the things that we complain about. It's kind of brushed off.
1: Absolutely. That's why I think, you know, just having that recording is just like backup. And I don't need to be honest. I don't even know if it's that's legal. If I don't tell them I just hit record, Um, Mm -hmm. but I don't care. You know, it's helpful in other ways too, because sometimes you're in an appointment and you get like all this information it's and you're just, like on over then you're like what did, what did they just say, and you can go back and listen or you can play it for a family member if so you don't have to go over everything that they said again and again, but uh, I think that those situations with you know being let down by the medical profession happen far too often, and I don't think that people are really aware of how often it does happen and how mm-hmm. common it is, especially you know being a a young person i been involved with YAC which is Young Adult Cancer Canada and uh just doing like their survivor conferences and meeting other people that are like 18 to 40 that have been diagnosed with cancer it's wow. a real commonality for especially because of our ages for you know things like this to happen mm-hmm. um where things are really down, downplayed and like like you said you know you, you're fighting your battle for your health you don't want to fight another battle And I was told you like going up against like the medical profession, everybody sticks together and it's very, very hard to prove any medical malpractice. So about, um, I would say there was probably about four or five instances where I wanted to do something, but I didn't do anything until recently. I won't go into it too much, but I am going to do something about, uh, I've joined a class action suit for, for one of the, uh, the issues so
0: good for you so I'm
1: yeah because you know I'm like okay I can't let this keep happening to me um you know somebody needs to answer for for some of this some of what's happened because you know I really feel that if I didn't advocate for myself I wouldn't be alive today
0: right right wow I had read somewhere that the cancer had spread to your lungs during your last pregnancy is that correct
1: Um, during my last pregnancy, it spread to my spine. So my son, he's going to be 12 soon. And um, I was, that was my second cancer diagnosis. So after that, I had, uh, you know, I've been pregnant with my son. And so my second diagnosis was, um, I was about six months pregnant. And I was having back pain for about three months. And they couldn't figure out why. And nobody had really expressed to me that you know what this can be a chronic illness this can come back i always felt like okay i paid my dues like i went through mastectomy chemo radiation like the whole nine yards like i never thought it would come back at Mm -hmm. that point so no none of the doctors put two and two together but they eventually i ended up falling and i fractured my spine i was about 20 or 24 weeks pregnant i fractured my spine and they finally gave me an MRI and said, oh, okay, your your spine's fractured. I'm like, okay, hey, what does that mean? They're like, well, it, it broke because there are tumors in your spine. Um, wow. Like the cancer, must has been a microscopic cell that traveled through your bloodstream and, you know, it it came back. And then the hormones during pregnancy, um, my cancer was really estrogen sensitive. So, you know, nobody really told me those things. They were things I had to find out the hard way or find out on my own. But what ended up happening is they tried to keep my pregnancy going. And when I was about 27 weeks, they were trying to get me to 30 weeks so that I could have my son at the hospital we were at and he wouldn't have to go to like a specialty hospital. So I think 30 weeks was kind of the cutoff for that. So this is one of the lessons I had to learn the hard way. You know, I had been in so much pain, but I felt better this one night. I felt better. And I, one of those people like I want my independence so bad that sometimes someone just needs to tell me just to sit down or mm-hmm. just to, or ask for help you know so I had gotten up in the middle of the night I was in the hospital and I went into the washroom and all of a sudden like my back just gave out and I fell on the ground and I felt like my body just shattered into like a million pieces and that's when I had fractured my spine again so it was like in two spots and then they were like okay we need to get this baby out so I ended up having my son at 27 weeks and he was a two pound, five ounce baby. So, so tiny. They had nine doctors come from other town hospital from McMaster and they, you know, delivered him, saw him for maybe a, a minute or two and then they took him away and he was at MAC for a month. I didn't see him for a month. And the next day I had a nine hour back surgery to fuse my son with rods and screws. So I was recovering at that hospital while he was, you know, about an hour away in the NICU trying to make sure he could breathe on his own and all the mm-hmm. all the things that premature babies have to have to achieve before they're able to go home. So after about a month, they brought him to the same hospital where I was. So then for two months we were at the same hospital, and after three months total mm-hmm. that we both came home and uh, came home in a wheelchair, and I had to learn to walk again and. Go, go up the stairs with a, a crutch, and you know I went from the wheelchair to a walker to crutches to a cane. Wow. I when I woke up from my surgery, I had um, what's called a foot drop, so the top of my foot is like paralyzed. I can't lift my right foot, uh, so wow. I had to. You know, I still have that to this day, and it's been almost twelve years. It's something that i you know I deal with every day, but I had to learn to. Teach myself to drive with two feet because you know I couldn't trust that right foot to be on the the brake and the gas. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different things that I had I had to do, and I had a lot of nerve damage. So I live with that pain every day too. So you know, the spinal fusion definitely helped me, but it also brought new health issues.
0: Wow. Yeah, but, it's a lot. It's a lot to swallow. It, I'm like, that's. It's, I mean. Cold no. Nope but my, my, my heart definitely goes out to you and I've got like goosebumps right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost lost for words. And as much as it's a lot to hear, I think the importance of you sharing your story, especially the things that were not told to you, you know, about how the cancer can come back or where it can come back, things to look out for. Like mm-hmm. those things are important for anyone listening Because I have had, there was another guest who was on the podcast who she had, uh, her original diagnosis was with breast cancer. And she removed the breast thinking, okay, well, let's just take it. So I'll be fine. And they allowed her to Mm -hmm. keep her nipple. And her second diagnosis, which they never told her existed, um, ended up being nipple cancer. So it's like, Uh, you know, hearing your stories, it's important because there's so much we're not told and it's mm-hmm. also important to hear your resilience and how you got through those things because as someone who is just sitting here listening and I mean I've had my share of struggles in life but just listening to your story I'm just like oh my god how did you get back up from that how did you deal with it like how did you even manage to take care of a newborn while you're still learning to walk
1: well that's the thing you know i for some reason i just always bounce back um so i i have three kids in total so when i brought my youngest home i didn't hold him standing up for the first six months of his life you know my oldest was i think maybe nine at the time and i had to stay on one floor of the house for the whole day and then i'd have like i basically i'll backtrack for a second before i left the hospital I had a lot of people questioning and doubting, well, how are you going to do this, you know? So they said, you know, they they wanted to know, they wanted to sit down with me at the table and they wanted me to explain to them how I was going to do this, you know, with, um, you know, a son with autism and two other kids, a new, uh, you know, a preemie. So I wrote everything out. I had figured out how it was going to go. You know, I'm going to stay on one floor for the day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this person come in and do this. I'm going to have my friend do my grocery shopping for me. Like, I had everything... Planned out, and what was kind of degrading is they came in. I thought it was going to be like uh, at an actual table this meeting, mm-hmm. but they came and like surrounded my hospital bed and like interrogated <laughs> me. Like, well, how are you going to? do I said, you know what? There are people with disabilities, people in wheelchairs that parent children. Right. So why can't I do it? You know, it wasn't easy, but uh, I I couldn't hold them standing up for the first six months, like I said, and then over time, it just started to get stronger and. Um, I just, I think I just put one foot in front of the other when I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like my go-to is like, just keep like, just keep swimming, just, keep. Swimming, just yeah. like, um, you know, and just, just keep, I just always just kept going and I always bounced back. And from that time of that diagnosis, um, I'll explain metastatic breast cancer. Just, I don't know if your all your viewers are, or listeners are familiar, but metastatic breast cancer is when you have breast cancer and then it spreads to another area in your body so it spread to my spine which or metastasized my spine so that's what made it metastatic cancer which is stage four cancer which they say we cannot cure this we don't know they told me we don't know if you have a year or 20 years we can't tell you um the average lifespan is two to three years at that point And I'm now going to be celebrating 12 years in a couple months. So I've definitely defied the odds for some reason. I just feel like, you know, it's not my time yet. And I have Mm -hmm. a purpose. It gave me more of a purpose with my songwriting as well, just because I wanted to tell my story in a different way, you know, and in a way that only I could tell it, but where other people could really understand and relate. So it kind of, gave me new purpose with my music as well a lot of experiences in life have given me like that urgency to do certain things mm-hmm. like create memories and travel you know I said I'm going to travel I'm going to go somewhere every year because you know that's something that I want to experience there have been a lot of things there are still a lot of things that I want to do and I don't know how long I have you know I actually recently like we were saying I've been in and out of the hospital uh about three weeks ago i was told that i had two days to live
0: whoa um
1: i was in the hospital i was having trouble breathing what happened was they they put a fluorex catheter in my lung which is like a tube in my lung because i kept getting fluid in it which i this is a lesson in intuition because i i always like to follow my intuition and i was so dead, against, dead set against it so dead set against it but they had told me like okay, hey, there's a chance that your lung will stop in, in, inflating if you don't get this. We can't keep, what they were doing was a, called a thoracentesis. So they would drain the fluid with the needle from my lung. And mm-hmm. I had to do that every few weeks. So they're like, there's this catheter in there. It, it's you know easier to consistently drain it. It's you know drained every few days by a nurse. And hopefully it will fix the problem. So I was like, okay, fine. I, I was, I'm kind of mad at myself for not listening to my intuition. But you know what? It's, that was like a big lesson for me because what happened was it ended up getting infected within two mm. weeks. And so they put me in the hospital and they, they actually used synthetic snake venom to drain out wow. the infection. So they would like inject the snake venom and clamp it and then I'd have to walk around. And then they would release it. And then I, it had this drain going constantly. So they drained five liters of fluid from my right lung. So if you can imagine, like, five wow. liters of, like, anything is a huge amount. And so what ended up happening is, like, from that, from then, I had a trapped lung, which means, like, my lung will not inflate properly. So then I was, you know, back in in and out of the hospital for different reasons, probably five times in the past few months. And uh they had told me like, oh my gosh, your vitals were all over the place. And I had too much carbon, I always get carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide, ca- carbon dioxide. I always get them confused, but I had too much of that in my system and not enough oxygen. My heart rate was like 170 something like my oxygen level was like, down to 60 at its worst point. and so they basically came and they said we want to know what you want to do we don't recommend this doctor was not my doctor but he said you know i think about my family and i say like i would not recommend you know going to the icu and having machi- machines hooked up to you like a ventilator bones cracking i'm just like oh like what You know, and then I said, "Why? Like, why? What's the urgency with this?" And he's like, "He's like, honestly, like you only have a couple days." And I was like, complete shock. I was not expecting that. And then somewhere, I, you know, I had told my family, my children, that I only had a couple days to live. Then within a couple days, I just took a turn. My vitals started getting better. They drained my left lung, and I just started getting better and better and then they were like okay at first they were like chemo will kill you like we can't give you chemo it's going to kill you then they were like okay you're well enough to do chemo again which to be 100% honest for 10 years I've been saying I'm not going to do chemo again Mm -hmm. but just the fear that was put in me from them saying you have two days to live all the emotions that I went through in that situation I was like okay yeah I'm doing it so that's a whole other story but I I face so many different emotions just being told that you only have a couple days to live like so many different things that you would never think about Mm -hmm. go through your head especially when you have children and you're like oh I have to do this I have to do that from a will to you know guardianship to you know I wanted to leave my kids cards and things for their birthdays and all this and I was just like what (laughs) like days, you know, a couple of days I wasn't not expecting that going into the hospital but within a couple of days they had me starting chemo. I did one chemo and then they sent me home the next day. And uh, wow. since then I've been steadily getting better and better every day. I had a pain pump which I was hoping to get rid of by the end of the month. It kept falling out and it was driving me nuts. It came out about 10 times. I said screw this this is a message from somebody that I don't need this thing. Mm-hmm. So I got rid of my pain pump. Um my oxygen I had twenty four seven. Now I'm at about a ninety seven, ninety eight percent oxygen without without using the the oxygen machine. Wow. So I'm barely even using it. Like I I just came upstairs without the without the oxygen, which I wasn't able to do three weeks ago. So I definitely I I know it wasn't my time, but that's the closest I've come to thinking that it was.
0: So first of all, I said, I was warning you that I wasn't going to be able to get through this without crying. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Honestly, like, thank God the doctors were wrong. Yeah. And it's, I don't even want to downplay and use the word inspiring, but just to hear the strength in which you just share your story so openly. Um, You know, the things that we take for granted and, the roller coaster of emotions and things that you've probably had to experience, not just throughout you know your life and all these different diagnoses, but even just in the past month. Like mm-hmm. we all know that you know tomorrow isn't promised to anyone, and I talk about it all the time. You know, I lost my sister in two thousand and twelve, and she didn't know she wasn't gonna you know live to see another day. So it's like having oh, this opportunity that. for you to like you said to do things for your kids or to do it I I can't even imagine what you're feeling or what you're going through or <laughs> I'm like a mess right now yeah, it's so much, <laughs> no it's so much
1: a process and I'm so sorry about your sister do you mind telling me what happened
0: um, I know you're asking questions yeah I mean questions. my sister um in 2012 um it was a really hot summer and She, you know, was having issues with fibroids and dealing with, you know, having to have blood transfusions and all kinds of stuff and, you know, hemorrhaging and it just got really intense and really scary. Like, you know, we would go to the mall and from the walk from the mall door to her car, you know, her pants would be drenched in blood and, you know, but for her, that became her new normal. It was like, oh my God. And yeah. yeah. Uh, And then there was one Sunday we would go to church together. We didn't live in the same house at the time, but, you know, we would meet up and plan mm-hmm. to leave at the same time to get there at the same time. And um, I called her that morning and my niece came on the phone who is, you know, her only child. And was like, you know, mom's having trouble breathing. She doesn't want to scare anybody, but, you know, it's, can you get her to go to like the hospital, or the doctor or something? And we went Aww. to church and she said that she would go get it looked at after service. And she'd gone up to the altar to pray. And when she came back, she was crying and, you know, she's like, I am just having trouble breathing. And we thought maybe, you know, it, it was super hot and humid that summer. Maybe she developed asthma or something. And, mm-hmm. um, my mom ended up taking to her to emerge that afternoon. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was arguing with my ex-husband at the time cause he didn't want to return my son home. So I had to leave. Um, uh, but then my sister texted me and said, they're going to keep me for observation. And, They kept her for observation and the next morning she went into cardiac arrest, um, I think before 6am. Um, and they tried for 40 plus minutes to revive her. And, um, they did, but they induced her into a coma and, um, the damage that was done she was in a coma for 3 weeks because we refused to let go you know we reached out to different specialists and mm-hmm. we had churches coming to pray and but after the 3 weeks like her her body shut down her organs started to shut down they were deteriorating um and they took her off they legally declared her brain dead um after 3 weeks so you know that oh, tomorrow is is no no um and again pardoned, you know issues with right. Issues with the healthcare system, where because she was on blood thickeners because of the bleeding, but we were told that she may have been given blood thinners when she came in there because they thought she had a blood clot. Um, I think in oh. her lung. But again, you know, the healthcare system and their cover-ups. So there was a lot of questions and a lot of things that didn't get done while we were grieving. And then you know, there's the statute of limitation of timeframes, and so yeah. But just hearing your story. I
1: actually relate to, uh, you know, everybody's story is different, but I definitely relate to the feeling of not being able to breathe. It's such a horrible feeling. My cancer, after going to my bones over the past two years, spread to my lungs and now my liver. So just with it in my lungs, it's caused so many issues. And like not being able to breathe is like the worst the worst feeling and you know i've had times where they thought i had a blood clot and i've had blood transfusion so you know i, I definitely r- relate to to a lot of just the unknown of not knowing like what's wrong like why why can't anybody figure out what's wrong with me but you know mm-hmm. something's wrong you know mm-hmm. um, so i'm really sorry for your loss i really am
0: i'm sure thank you i'm sure and it's I'm... still
1: hard with, you know this these many, many years later you know
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm sorry for everything that you have had to experience and it is inspiring to hear how you've been able to turn your, your pain into your purpose and how, you know, you have the strength to be so open and to share your story and your experiences. So thank you for that. Have you found that motherhood changed how you viewed life? You know, like you just said, they gave you two days to live and you were thinking about what you needed to do for your children
1: mm mm-hmm. Um, I definitely feel like with my first diagnosis, I was just like, okay, I got to be here for my kids. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to, you know, remove my breast. I'm going to have six months of chemo. I'm going to have six weeks of radiation. So it's kind of just like, there's no choice. But, and I just knew I was going to be okay that first time. Mm-hmm. Um, the second time it hit me a lot harder. Um, like I said, I had three kids at that time. I'm sitting there pregnant with this little itty bitty baby. And I'm being told, well, we don't even know if you have a year to live to be able to raise him. And now, you know, he's going to be 12 soon. And I feel so lucky to be able to actually, you know, be here to raise him and kind of have these memories. But um, they definitely keep me going. I feel like my kids really need me. And so I think that has been something that's been a positive for me, just because they've kind of been like my reason to live. And I've gone through periods where, especially recently, I've just been like, okay, if my breathing's not going to get any better, if my pain's not going to get any better, I don't know how long I can do this,
0: mm-hmm. you know?
1: And they really just got me through that period of time until I could feel stronger, until I like, could feel, okay, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. Cause when you don't know what to expect, you don't know if it's just going to be like all downhill from here or like, like this for the rest of your life it's Mm -hmm. really hard. It's really hard. Like you gotta have to, you kind of have to remind yourself that like that nothing's permanent kind of thing, but at the same time, in that moment, you feel like it is. So um, I definitely think that they have, they have pushed me to do everything. And like I said, create memories and have little traditions with them, you know, and uh, even though I had mobility issues and pain, I tried to do things that I was able to do. So like every Monday we'd have pizza movie night and I've been doing that for the past 12 years. So we, Mm -hmm. um, we still do that. And, you know, just, just little things. When I just had my very close call, I had some family members help my mom and my sister. They went and got me, um, like these little, I wanted, I was going to do build a bear. Um, I had lost a friend I've lost a few friends along the way, but my good friend Kirsten, she had Build a Bear's with her voice in them for her son, who's the mm. same age as my son. So I wanted to do that for him, um, but because of the whole pandemic, there's like no Build a Bear's open. I don't think Right. Uh, they couldn't any anyway. So um, they just uh, they ordered me like these star pillows, and you can record your voice in them. So I have those. So I want I want to. You now I feel like okay I have the time to do all those things that I'm like oh my god what am I gonna do so right. I'm trying to you know because before I felt, I think I felt like okay if I do these final things it's like acknowledging that okay it's my time if I you don't do them then I'm kind of you know saying that I'm not ready but then with the very close call I'm like okay I need to do these things now
0: none of us are so. getting out of here alive so i mean it's right. we're we're afraid to acknowledge that we may not physically be here one day but none of us are getting out here alive and after losing my sister like that opened my eyes i mean she was 39 when she passed and having my health issues when i was 39 waking up every day wondering if i was gonna make it to 40 it made it forced me to go and get my will created and to get things in order for mm-hmm. my children. And we don't want to think about it, but it's almost unfair that if something does happen and they have to deal with, you know, the unknown because we didn't prepare for it, you know, culturally there's a lot of other cultures that prep for these things. You know, it's yeah. like guess normal practices, yeah. but it's almost like we feel like if we avoid it and we don't accept that it's going to happen, that we can put it off. But it, if it's not your time, it's not your time. And, and I'm telling you, like, I'm, I am can't even stop crying right now. But it's not your time. Because every diagnosis that they've given to you, you have pushed way beyond that, your strength and your resilience. And I, I don't want to downplay what you may feel like, you know, on your down days or when you're alone. But your strength to keep pushing is so inspiring.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're going to make me cry now. <laughs> I'm okay? sorry. I warned you. <laughs> I don't so um but yeah, I think I think it's important. I have a vlog where I kind of share the ups and downs, but I think for me, I always try to just stay positive and you know show that side, but I was more reluctant to share the the downs mm-hmm. and the, the real struggle of it all, so now I'm like kind of i i will tell I would tell the story, but I would be kind of detached from it, and I still am. Um, in some ways detached mm-hmm. from it it's like i'm telling some almost like i'm telling someone else's story cuz when and you, have, you know, like I, a, heal, a, a coping mechanism and, right yeah exactly so i just um i don't know i just i guess there's different different emotions and and things that you know you kind of have to like compartmentalize a little bit and just i don't know i think that i've learned to do that in a lot of different ways just to get through it, just to get through it. But I just feel like, you know, it is my responsibility to share, you know, some of the, those tougher days. So I've been really, I've been really proud of myself lately for doing that. Cause I, and you should be it, I, like, I would be like afraid to show like the weaker side and like the side where I'm like, Oh my God, this is like, this is hard, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to show that more. And I think, that's just as important as showing, you know, the, the the upside because then people understand, okay, that's what she's really going through. And then she's, you know, this is where she's at now. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I've had, you know, a, a lot of amazing women, all of the women that have come on have been amazing. Um, but I, a huge part of what I try and drill down for the show is that it's great to see the highlight reel. But also understanding the behind the scenes and understanding the adversities that you amazing women have to endure or have had to endure to get to where you are. So that other women who are probably sitting at home right now, and maybe a woman who's just recently diagnosed and Mm -hmm. needs to hear the truth or needs to hear what to expect or needs to hear that she's not alone. Like, those are the things that have gotten me through my darkest days. It's not the highlight reels of seeing, you know, the pretty fancy online. So thank you for being real.
1: Yeah, thank you for for allowing me to you know share my story and be and be real and open and honest. Like I said, that's I, I do feel like it's part of my purpose. And again, even with the songwriting, I don't want to like shoot my own horn, but if anybody shoot your to horn, girl? Okay, <laughs> shoot my horn. Um, <laughs> if, if my proudest, proudest musical accomplishment was the video, the last video I put out for "Head in the Clouds" remix. Mm -hmm. featuring ray robinson Mm -hmm. um and it's that video i don't know if you've seen it but i definitely um tell my story but also the story of about i think it's about five or six of my friends and family members who have been through some real adversity and found like a blessing on the other side so they're all true stories you know most people can relate to at least one of them so um, if you want to check that out on YouTube it's 10 in the Clouds remix. I'm definitely very proud of it. And I think that it has already inspired so many people, you know, there's not usually like a week or two that goes by where I don't hear that, hear from someone that says that it's inspired them. So that means so much to me. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and my son's in there too. He's holding a sign saying I was a two pound, five ounce baby. And, you know, now I now I'm ten, resilient and strong, and like I said, a bunch of other stories as well. So that's that's tooting my own horn. That's
0: yes, you. This listen, you have out. every right to toot your horn. And yes, I have seen the video. Um, I'm a fan of that video. I'm also a fan of uh, Marie Robinson. I um, I was interviewed mm-hmm. by him a couple of years ago when he was doing the radio show. Oh, but yes, everyone needs to go and check out the video. Head in the clouds. I have, like, so many questions, but I have, like, so many emotions right now. <laughs> I know, is going to be a long interview. <laughs> okay, so I, I would love to know, what's one thing that most people don't know about Faith?
1: Um, people might not know that I'm a bit of a bookworm. I love to read, you know, anything from novels to, um, like, biographical to, you know, inspiring stories. I'm reading um Spontaneous Remission right now which is an amazing book I recommend to anybody going through cancer especially but I I have a book club and we're awesome. the book Bunnies. and uh yeah shout out to the book bunnies uh so yeah that's one thing that people might not know about me is that I do love to read and that's something that didn't that didn't happen in my childhood or when I was a teenager it happened after I was done school and I didn't have to didn't have to read I just got to read because I wanted to because it was interesting
0: so yeah that's the one thing <laughs> I love it I have a complete random question that I love to ask every woman that comes on the show and okay. so far it's been on point so uh let's let's hope that it stays that way <laughs> but I basically came across this Reader's Digest article and it okay. basically you know says what your favorite type of shoe says about your personality, So I would uh-huh. love to know, faith, do you know can you, or can you tell us what is your favorite type of shoe? Is it like a heel, a boot, a running shoe, flip flops? Uh, well, whatever. okay, so my
1: I would say it's uh, between two different ones, I would say either like a boot I need something with the ankle support because of my nerve damage mm. um so a boot or I love Converse I love Converse <laughs> I used to have I used to have to wear a brace and I had to buy like shoes like a size which was bigger and then I'd put an insole in one and then I had my brace in the other side but the Converse had like just enough ankle support for me so comfortable classic so yeah I would do Converse
0: okay I feel to read you both So let's, okay, let's start with this. So high heeled boot wearers take charge in the event of a crisis. The person who loves wearing high heeled boots will always be the one to take control of the situation. They're quick on their feet and they are able to make clear, rational decisions. This woman is exceptionally self-assured. So people around her feel instantly safer in her hands. The high heeled boot is a take charge kind of person. She loves being center stage and is very assertive.
1: Uh-huh. Uh. That's, that's pretty accurate.
0: <laughs> pretty accurate. Uh-huh. I'm looking for the walking shoe, the sneaker, sneaker. yeah. Sneaker buffs get along with everyone. Are you someone who relates to people much younger than you, yet also feels comfortable conversing with someone much older? Uh, sometimes you're an old soul and sometimes you're the life of the party. For sneaker buffs, age truly is but a number because you get along with everyone. The sneaker is very versatile, a very open person, willing to explore a lot of options and different ideas. They're energetic and ageless. They're really not young or old, and they seem to move fluidly through age-specific groups. That's pretty accurate,
1: too. I think
0: I'm a combination of those two. You might be in between.
1: Yeah, I think I'm a combination of those two. Okay. Sure. A lot of different supplements of each one.
0: I love it. I love it. So tell the people where they can stay connected with you online. Yeah, definitely. Um,
1: it's at Faith Walker Music on Instagram, Faith Walker on Facebook and Twitter as well. Instagram is my, I would say, my go to just because I can find it hard to keep up with all the different mm-hmm. platforms. <laughs> but so yeah if you check me out on instagram um there's a link to my playlist on youtube in my bio and i will post anything that's going on any event you know flyers interviews anything like that so you can stay up to date on instagram i would say um and then my music is available on all platforms from iTunes to spotify so yeah you can just search Blake Walker um, my last project was my EP and it was called Head in the Cloud. So you can, you can look for that. And, uh, there's seven songs on that one as well.
0: Perfect. And I will definitely have the link to all of your platforms in the detail section so they won't have to search too far. They can just click and connect with you directly. Okay, great. Thank you so much. No problem. So the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And it's just a couple reflection questions where you share the first thing that comes to mind. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? I think it would,
1: I don't know what exactly it would say, but I think it would be something, you know, relate that relates to my music, but also to my strengths. Um, I don't know how much you can put on a billboard. but um, something that shows me, you know, being, being strong and um, how that relates to my music. I love it.
0: Makes total sense. Makes total sense. Uh, What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years?
1: I would definitely say meditation. I meditate Um, I was meditating every night before bed for years. And actually, when I was in the hospital recently, I wasn't able to do that. So I'm just starting to get back into it. But it's helped me immensely just because my mind goes like nonstop all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, you know, helped me to slow down. And, you know, I have a playlist on YouTube that I just kind of built for myself where I can pick and choose, like there's like a 100 meditations in there for all different things. So whether I'm feeling anxious, or, you know, I want to try to focus on healing, you know, guided meditation for, you know, balancing the chakras, just all different types. So for whatever I need that night, then I, I just choose one. And um, I think that's been really big in my life, something that's been consistent over the past five years that I hope to keep doing.
0: I love it, I love it, honestly, like I have no words faith um <laughs> normally, this is the part where I thank you for you know t- taking the time to join us, but I am so humbled that we've been able to have this conversation and that you have allowed me to be a part of this moment in your life to share your story so. Thank you. I am so humbled right now. Thank you so much, Rick. You're so welcome, and thank you for taking the time and being, you know,
1: open and honest with me as well, and you know, willing to to listen to some things that aren't always hard to hear, and, and you know, you know, you might end up in tears sometimes. But again, I think it's important to to own our story. So,
0: absolutely, and these conversations really, are necessary.
1: Definitely, I commend you for. You know, just this series in general, I'm sure has done so many positive things for for your listeners. So I have a lot of respect for, for you in
0: that way as well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Faith. And to all of you faith walkers out there <laughs> until next time, subscribe <laughs> on all platforms, rate the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. join the community of faith walkers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at a and be sure to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you can think of one person, and I'm going to challenge you because I know there's more than one person that you can think of that would receive value from hearing faith's testimony today, but please share it with them. Be sure to screenshot this week's episode and tag us on instagram you can tag faith at faith walker music and you can tag myself at the real McKinney smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling